Hello and welcome to Smashing the Ceiling, the podcast that tells interesting stories of inspiring women. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Naomi, a vet by day, an enthusiast of supporting and encouraging women and championing the successes of those who are doing great things in their chosen unusual fields. My guest today is Sally Snow, a woman of many and varied talents. She's a documentary maker, underwater camera woman, whale shark researcher, and and an environmental advocate who currently lives in the Philippines. She's the executive director of LAMAVE, the Large Marine Vertebrates Research Institute, quite a mouthful, a not-for-profit organization dedicated to the conservation of the marine environment. Life hasn't always been quite so exotic, though. Sally grew up in West Wales with her zoologist parents and a house full of weird and wonderful creatures, including otters in the bathroom and insects in the fridge. It's best not to ask, I don't think. After starting her career in student radio and then documentary production, she bought a camera, quit her job and headed to the Philippines in search of whale sharks. These are the world's largest sharks, which sounds terrifying, but they're gentle, beautiful creatures that cruise through warm tropical waters and filter feed like a whale. Sally now studies these whale sharks and other creatures with the rest of her team, as well as working in the local communities in the Philippines. I spoke to Sally from her office in the Philippines and started by asking her what she'd wanted to do when she was little. When I was a kid, I wanted to be, uh, I actually wanted to be a TV host. That's what I was kind of obsessed with because I could see all of these adventures and I wanted to kind of tell the world about all this amazing stuff. Um, having been raised by both my parents are zoologists, so when I was actually applying for university, I was not that keen to do zoology because I, I knew I wanted to do some form of science, but I was really into art as well. And I kind of didn't want to be a copy of my parents because I didn't really feel, I'd say that they're more academic and kind of, they both worked in a lab and things for a while before moving to Wales. Um, so I applied for lots of different things and ended up doing zoology and psychology which suited me really well because it kind of was a bit about human behavior and animal behavior. Cause I just, I love the natural world, but I think in terms of like thinking that I was going to be a scientist, I more wanted to work in uh, kind of natural history television. That's what I really wanted to do. Um, and that's what I did do after university. But then I kind of, I'm, I think I'm a bit too passionate about conservation and the way that our world is now. Um, there's so much, I think that our generation can do to, improve and raise awareness on the environment. So I think that kind of pulled me away a little bit. In university, it's really amazing because you have the opportunity to join lots of different societies. Um, There's radio clubs, there's film clubs, there's sports clubs. Um, I think when I was in university, I did join a lot of societies. I seemed to spend more time in societies than sometimes in my lectures. But but it was really amazing because especially like one of the things I was really passionate about was science communication. So being able to have my own radio show or a group of friends of mine actually started a magazine in the biological society. Mm -hmm. um, And I started drawing cartoons for that. And I think the really cool thing about university and, you know, other colleges and schools is that if there is the opportunity to, you know, have your own radio show, you should go for it if it's something you're interested in. Because um, you don't have to be an expert. So some people would say like, oh, but, uh, you know, I've never done it before. I think that's exactly the point. It's like you can actually do things when you've never done it before. And then when you get out of that and you want to go, you know, into the real world and maybe try and get on the BBC radio or another local radio, then you actually have some experience. 
Um, so it's super cool, and that really helped me with where I am today. Yeah, sure. So you moved into um, working in broadcasting and production after you left university. Um, you've obviously made a few films over the years, um, some of which I've watched and are amazing. Yeah, I mean, I it was super cool to work in production. Um, I actually worked for a little production company in Cardiff in Wales. And we made a lot of documentaries for BBC Wales, but also we did some stuff for BBC Two and National Geographic. And that was amazing, actually, because I worked for such a small team with really cool people. And it was only really after I left that I really realized all the skills that I'd got. And my old boss was a really good mentor. Like, he really supported me and I think also allowed me to grow in in ways that I wanted to grow, um, which was really cool. Um, but I, I left that job because I, I decided to hand my notice in because I realized that I was being really moved by independent films. I kind of realized that, you know, one of the films I watched at that time was The Cove. And I was like, that is exactly what I want to do. And I realized that if I wanted to tell those stories or be part of those stories, then I kind of needed to go out and experience them and find some for myself. And that's when I bought a camera, basically, and a five-month ticket to the Philippines and contacted WWF and asked if I could do some whale shark work with them. That's kind of how I first started in the Philippines. That's that's amazing. And, I mean, I'm very fortunate that I have been in the water with a whale shark, but for somebody who hasn't, can you just describe what that is like? It's magnificent. Basically, the, what drew me to whale sharks is I wanted to know what it felt like to swim next to the largest fish in the ocean. And it is amazing. Like, I've swam with hundreds of whale sharks now, like different individuals, the same individual. But every time I see them, I'm always mesmerized. They're, there's something so beautiful about them. And they're just so gentle. And I think they remind us of, like, why the ocean is such a special place. Um, so, yeah. I think everyone, if they can, should swim with a whale shark or even another fish. I think you can still have these amazing encounters. You can hear Sally's passion for the whale sharks, for their beauty and their grace and their magnificence. Filming them there is pretty tricky. They move incredibly quickly. You can't scuba dive. You're under the water with a camera in your hand and a snorkel on holding your breath. And free diving is a difficult skill. I asked Sally about how she went about learning that and the challenges that it presents in filmmaking. Um, I think a lot of people now are assigned to take um, freediving courses, which are really cool. I've never actually taken one. I'd still really love to do it because um, they kind of teach you how with your breathing. Um, with me personally and like with some underwater cameramen that I've worked with a lot in the, in the past, it, for us, I think it comes with practice because the more you're in the water, um, the better you become because one of the things that we have is obviously if you're doing any research or filming an animal on um, on your own breath um, it's great to be able to hold your breath and be relaxed but often you're kind of in pursuit so you you know you've got, your heart is racing and by the time you go down your breath you know your breath is different than if you were very stationary and going down very slowly um, so you know a lot of that comes with I think fitness also helps enhance your capabilities in the water and um, anybody that would want to film uh, animals on snorkel, like being able to free dive is an amazing skill. And I think anybody interested in wanting to learn that, just go out there and start getting experience because the best underwater cameramen I've worked with are ones that know the animal and realize that actually, you know, to get a 30 second shot of an animal 
on free dive, you need to, you know, you need to be able to do that. You can't just go down for 10 seconds in a rush. And I think the other thing as well is when you're doing any kind of filming with wildlife, um, you need to understand as well what the animal's going to do because what you might be trying to film, maybe it's some behavior or something, you need to anticipate and be ready for when the animal does that. So understanding and spending time with animals beforehand like can really enhance, I think, your filming capabilities. Because, you know, when you're, you're up against it and you're really trying to get something, when it happens, you need to be there and you need, you need to be rolling. Yeah. So you're now working, um, you're one of the directors of the Large Marine Vertebrates Project in the Philippines. Can you just give us a brief overview about what you do and what the uh, aim of the organization is? Yeah, so a lot of people call us Lamave because our, our name is super long. Um, <laughs> but um, we have, so Lamave have, we do marine conservation in the Philippines and we specialize in marine megafauna. So finding out, you know, where big animals are, are moving their biology, but also like how they're interacting with people and how we can better protect them. Um, so some of the key species we study are whale sharks, turtles, um, manta rays, other sharks. We've started to work with tiger sharks. Um, but we also work a lot with communities and governments. So we work with all kind of sectors of, um, I guess, of society, because I think one thing that I learned very quickly is even if you want to protect something that you might think, you know, maybe you want to protect a certain species of shark, if you don't factor in all the people that are somehow involved with that animal, whether it's they're using the habitat or they're actually using the shark itself, or maybe they're doing some form of tourism, then if you don't factor in all those things, you can't actually come up with a good conservation plan because you can't just do maybe what's best by the animal anymore because you need people to get on board with things. Um, and I think that's really the challenge. Um, so a lot, a lot of our work now, we have around eight active field sites and a lot of those take volunteers. So we have volunteers that come and train with us and they collect uh, data, which actually goes into scientific publications. So it's a really amazing way of kind of getting into the field. Um, and a lot of our work is to do with wildlife tourism. Um, so often in the Philippines, there's these amazing opportunities for communities to grow by engaging in wildlife tourism. However, if it's done kind of in a, in a poorly managed way, it can actually be quite detrimental because if, um, if, if the animal is continuously disturbed by the tourism, then this can have an effect on the animal, but also displace them from the environment. And if the animal goes, it also means that there's no livelihood for the people. Um, so a lot of our work is actually managing and investigating that. So finding out what kind of things do disturb the animal, and then is there a way to manage that? Um, so it's kind of finding the balance for the people and the animal. I think sometimes people can be a bit complacent because they kind of have this idea that tourism is the answer to keeping wildlife um, in our oceans and using them alive. But um, but yeah, there is, I think there is more, more talk about it. Unregulated tourism can be, you know, a really big problem. And But it's something that I think everyone can help reduce. Um, if you're planning on going on holiday and you, you want to participate in a, in an animal tourism activity. If something seems wrong because like you're being able to stroke a tiger or you can go in a pool that's like two meters with a dolphin or you can go and ride a whale shark, like don't don't support those type of tourism because they are exploiting animals. And read, just do some research, often like an hour of research and you can find like the best um, you know, the most ethical tourism. And that's really amazing because you, it's really important that people do that as well because it also champions um, 
communities and tour operators that are actually doing a really amazing job instead of actually giving their money to somebody who is doing something that would be considered unethical. Mm. And just touching on the the dolphins that you mentioned, you've just made a film about that for BBC Three. Um, that was quite a difficult watch, let alone being there. How was it making that? Oh, it was pretty. Um, it was pretty horrible. I was really nervous about it because I really don't agree with dolphins in captivity, and I I really didn't want to have to go and do the experience. But that was kind of part of the film to. You know, to show people actually there's another, there's a darker side to, you know, dolphins. And I think, especially with dolphins, the anatomy of the face makes them look like they're always smiling. So people who go and interact with them, it does look like from the photos that they have an amazing time. And that's what everyone else sees. So then they might go and do the experience. Even though when you actually do the experience, you can tell that it's wrong. Um, that film, yeah, it was, it was hard. And I think one of the things that I found hard doing it as well, there was one instant where... Um, there were some dolphins kept in a hotel swimming pool and one of the trainers there, I think she really felt that she was, you know, doing well by the dolphins because I think she felt she was being kind to them. But for me, I could, you know, it was really wrong what they were doing in general, but I found that hard as well because, you know, I think she was maybe ignorant to some of the problems. Mm. Um, and yeah, so kind of filming undercover to try and expose people, it is a tricky one. Um, but it was an important message, and I hope you know that some people will think again before booking a dolphin, a swim with dolphin experience. Yeah, sure. Was that the first time you've done undercover filming? Um, yeah, for like a, a documentary, like I've, we've done, I've done a little bit. Like sometimes we've done it in markets or something like this. But usually it's just for documentation, um, mm. as in like this could be also for research in terms of like getting. Um, documenting that there was a certain species of shark or something in a market. Um, but yeah, it was, um, yeah, and it was funny as well because I was completely alone. So at one stage I was in this horrible hotel and I was only one of the, I was a few, one of the few people there and I just felt so, I felt so terrible because I was trying to find out dirt on these people. But at the same time I was, I was staying under their roof. So you do feel a bit vulnerable. I, was, I imagine it's quite nerve-wracking from t from time to time when you're solo in a in a place like that, and you, you know you're quite isolated, and you're like you say looking for for dirt on these people. I'd imagine that could be a little bit um, scary, to be honest. Well, you get a bit paranoid. Like there was one there was one morning where I'd gone for the swim and I came back, and I had to do all these after you know, after the experience, um, talking to camera. And I was doing it in my bathroom because it was the only place where the lights wouldn't go. Like I had camera lights because it was so dark in the room. Um, I needed to use some lights to make sure that you could see me. And if I used it in the room, you could tell from outside that there was something weird going on. So I was like constantly in the bathroom doing my debriefs. And I was getting paranoid. And then one day when I had set it all up, I got a knock on the door. And I just, I was like, oh my goodness, they found me out. And I kind of shoved everything in the wardrobe and I ran to the door and it was one of the guys and they were like, and he actually was saying like, do you want to come for coffee? And oh. that's kind of actually when I went and I found out more about, you know, the daily habits of what the trainers were doing. So it was funny because in a way he helped me out a bit, but I, you know, I felt, yeah, you do get a bit paranoid. Sally filmed that documentary in Indonesia 
and if you watch it you'll see that the conditions in which those animals are kept are far below what we would anticipate in any wildlife park or, or zoo in the western world. But I wondered whether some of the actions of those involved were more due to ignorance and naivety rather than actual cruelty. Sally works mostly in developing countries where attitudes regarding wildlife and conservation might be considered to be somewhat behind those of more developed nations. I asked whether she actually found that the communities she worked with were more receptive to education on the issues than people back home. Yeah, I, I can see your point. It's an interesting question. I mean, I think one of the things I love about my work here in the Philippines is that the communities we work with are amazing. Um, like, it, it is hard sometimes, you know, like, we have, La Mave is a mixed team, so we have locals as well as, like, I would be considered, like, a foreigner here. So... It's, you know, we have an international team. So sometimes you do feel a little bit like you're working in a community, which obviously you didn't grow up in. Um, but it's amazing because you can learn so much from these communities. And, you know, if you find that kind of gap and the bridge together, you can actually like fill in the future, um, you know, in a more sustainable way, especially if we're working with guides or something and we explain why something works. So, And what's really rewarding is when you get somebody who actually really wants to get more involved like we have one guide in one of our sites who we've trained to photo id whale sharks so he actually helps us physically collect research data as well which is amazing and mm. he's become one of the community champions as well as you know a champion for us um i think sometimes people my experience now whenever i go home to the uk um i think we we can be a bit set in our ways but i think we can also think that the problem is elsewhere that it's not us we could be like oh well you know yeah, we don't have dolphins in captivity, but then you might go and do it when you're in, you know, when you're on holiday because you're on holiday. Or one of the things I've noticed, you know, with Blue Planet that's just come out, a lot of people are talking about plastic a lot more. Mm. Um, and yet this has been a problem that's been around for ages. And the last time I went home, um, I said to my parents, I said, oh my goodness, it is crazy how much plastic you guys are using from the supermarket. And my father says what do you mean we're not using that much plastic we buy stuff from the farmer's market and then we get some stuff from the supermarket and I opened the fridge and I actually went through and loads of stuff was in plastic but he couldn't see it mm. he couldn't see it anymore because I think he saw the rubbish gets collected and taken away from your um you know from your house so it's not like stockpiling in your garden so you're not I don't think we're always that aware how much how much you know plastic or something we're consuming um, whereas in the Philippines, it's different because I think you see those effects much more, you know, like the the waste system is not as organized. So plastic builds up. So people, whether it's you or, the, you know, members of the community, they do see stuff. So I think bridging the gap with a piece of education maybe can be, um, you know, can be more rewarding because people can actually see the problem. Yeah, that's definitely, that's a really good point. Because I, I think that that we're so complacent here about about plastics in particular that's a huge thing like you say in the wake of blue planet that everybody's talking about plastic um but it, it's amazing how um we're, we're so attuned or just kind of numbed to the amount of plastic in our society that everything comes in this huge amount of of plastic and I wonder if it's frustrating for people working in in conservation and zoology you know when have been banging on about plastics in the oceans and and you know global warming for example for donkeys years now and suddenly the rest of the world only just appear to be waking up to it I wonder if that's quite frustrating for people in in working in your sort of areas 
I mean, it, it can be, and it makes me laugh sometimes because it's like, you know, I'll hear somebody that I've known for a long time and I've maybe had the same conversation with them for a while, but now that they've suddenly seen something on a documentary, it's like they've remembered it, you know, mm. or um, they're more interested in making a step. But I, I think that happens the world over, you know, like I think one of the problems you see when countries are developing, they'll look to maybe places that they'd consider developed and they might have all, you know, the fact they might have all this stuff that's package wrapped, and then it gets disposed of and we never see it. But actually, that's a really bad way of developing because, you know, that is not, it doesn't have a solution. Um, so sometimes I think in developing places, it can be quite cool because actually, if people can really see that there's a problem now, maybe they can skip that part, you know, and actually go to solutions. Like, there's some really cool um, plastic-free initiatives happening here in the Philippines from using more natural products um, to, you know, trying to use more... Um, canvas bags and cups and bamboo straws and all kinds of things, which also helping promote new livelihoods like bamboo straws instead of plastic straws mm. means that a community can make them. So, you know, I think there are some cool steps happening here. Yeah. Yeah. And do you do a lot of education as part of your role? Like, would you go into schools and talk and, th and things like that? Or how do you go about educating the community to get your message across from Lamave? We do go into school sometimes, so it's not like one of the main things we do, and that's part of also because, like, I think when you have, you do kind of school education, you have to be careful that it's also complementing the curriculum. Mm. And what what some studies have found is that actually when people come in just for a short amount of time, it doesn't actually have that much effect. Um, so when we've done any schooling stuff, we've we've tended to do it in say communities we've been based in. The kids have been, you know, seeing us living in their village for you know, six months and they they know you and they're super curious. And then when you come into school, maybe to do a talk, they're really excited because they're actually like, yeah, you know, like I know Addis Ali, like, so, and then one of the things we have done is try to, you know, share things that we found out about their place to so give them a sense of pride and ownership over what, you know, maybe some of the research we've done, but that also belongs to them. You know, like if we found out that there's 200 different whale shark visiting their bay, then that's something those kids should know and be proud of because maybe, you know, that will make them want to um, protect those animals. Yeah. Um, and we do, we do a lot of workshops. I mean, we work with a lot of, um, we work with a lot of kind of tour guides who are actively taking people out to show people animals. And we work as well with a lot of government units. So we have a lot of kind of workshop and meetings. Um, and we do, we do things within the community, just like film, film screenings. And we might do, um, like ocean days for the kids. So we tend, we do education in lots of different ways. I mean, a lot of our education as well will be through um, sometimes just raising awareness like online through social media. Facebook is massive in the Philippines. So, you know, that's a really good way of kind of just talking to your audience as well. Um, and a lot of people like we, we have a scholarship program that takes um, a local, um, a local on all of our teams, like with no costs. So the, they come on board and a lot of them have actually, you know, been following us for a while and then they're like, oh, I finally want to apply. So, so it's cool. I think, you know, making connections with people can make a big difference as well. Yeah. And do you, do you travel a lot around the different islands of the Philippines or do you have a base in one place where you tend to work from most of the time? So, yeah, I mean, I, I feel really lucky because I've got to travel a lot of the Philippines. Um, we're now based out of one island. So because we have eight, we kind of have eight different field sites. So when the summer, the Philippine summer's here, we have a lot of 
kind of research sites. And we used to be based out of one of those and kind of hop between the others. But now we've kind of got a bit bigger that, um, like I'm based on Negros Island and we have a small little office in a university, which is where I'm sat now. Um, but I'll go then to the different field sites. And um, the other thing is, is with more responsibility comes uh, different different things like being chained to the computer maybe that little bit longer or um, my job now as well involves a lot of kind of public relations and you know meeting with various government officials and things like that so it's cool I get a balance it's nice to be able to do those things and obviously interact on that level but then I do miss kind of being in in the water like every every day um, so if there is such a thing what would your average day or week look like now Oh, I would, well, it really changes from one week to the next. So maybe, um, you know, one week I could be, I could be on the computer all week. Um, at the moment, I'm actually editing uh, some footage of, um, I'm trying to do a mini series about our research in one of the marine parks here in the Philippines. Um, so I'm editing that, but I'm also, I, I'm chained to a lot of emails because um, there's a lot of people that we work with. We work with a lot of organizations and, um, and government officials and partners so that requires a lot of work and I'm actually responsible for all our communications so anything you see about Lamave online that also comes through me okay. um, but I do do other stuff so I was in uh, I was swimming with whale sharks a couple of weeks ago um, in one of our field sites working with the team on the ground there um, it was the first project I ever ran for Lamave, so a lot of that was kind of seeing the community, having community meetings, but also going out and collecting whale shark photo ID and interacting with tourists. Um, some days I could be under the midday heat trying to tag a tiger shark um, or like diving with, um, you know, on a trip with WWF. So it, it, really, it really varies. I mean, as I, the longer I've done this work, I have got to do some incredible field experiences, but then I have also spent, I think, more time in the computer on the computer. Mm. People often think I'm in the ocean every day. I wish it was the same, but it's it's not every day. But it's still it's still a pretty awesome job. <laughs> and and um, what are your team working on at the moment? If you're allowed to give us a flavour of what you're researching right now. So we have. We have how many? So we have two, we have three research sites running right now. One is looking at turtles off an island and looking into the, the population and working with the local government there about kind of learning to manage the, the turtle and tourism interaction a bit better. Um, another, the other two are studying whale sharks. So they're still collecting data on, you know, what whale sharks are visiting various waters and how tourism is interacting with them. Are they following local guidelines or not. Um, and then a few more projects will open up. So we're going to have a diving project with manta rays this year, which will be collecting photo ID data and understanding what species and the population of manta rays are present in an area further north in the Philippines. Um, what else do we have happening this year? We've got a continuation of some longer term running projects. So we're going to be tagging tiger sharks in a few months. Um, and we're also going to be putting down more acoustic receivers around the Philippines. So oh, cool. acoustic receivers um, interact with acoustic tags. So we've been putting some acoustic tags in gray reef and tiger sharks. And basically every time these individuals come within, a, in the, within like 500 meters of a receiver, um, they will send a ping and it, gives, it can build up a map 
like a habitat map of where these animals are going. So we're trying to extend that because we can only, you only get information when you put like one of these beacons down. So we're trying to put more beacons around the Philippines. So this will be this is going to be like a ten year study. Um, so that's ongoing now, and we're also tagging turtles this year, which is pretty cool. Mm, it's really interesting. I'm, I'm kind of fascinated by all of this. Actually, it's it's really cool. Um, so if people are interested in finding out more about your work, where can they go to look for information? You can, so we have a, our website is www.lamave, so that's L-A-M-A-V-E dot org. Um, but you can also follow us, like I'd say we're most active on Facebook and we're just, uh, I think we're Lamave Project on Facebook and we're also Lamave Project on Twitter and Instagram. So if you want to see what we're up to and we also like, we take, a lot of people come and um, do volunteer work with us. So if that's something people are interested in getting kind of, experience in the field then for sure they should check us out yeah it's an amazing place and it is it is amazing work I mean it, it is hard sometimes like I think anybody that works in this field works super hard but they do it yeah. because they're passionate about it yeah. and I think anybody that you know wants to do it I think the best advice is just go for it and sometimes you know take take things into your own hands or like step out and do something different like I think when I handed my notice in and bought a camera and went to the Philippines, I didn't think that I would be doing this like six years later. Um, but I just, I wanted to do something different and I took a risk um, and it paid off. Like I wouldn't take that, you know, I wouldn't take that back for anything. Yeah, sure. And that's, it's kind of a good, it's a good message that, isn't it? That, that you know, be sometimes being brave and stepping out of your comfort zone really reaps rewards that you possibly weren't expecting and you can go in directions that you weren't anticipating. Yeah, for sure. Because I think like it is daunting and you know, sometimes maybe they might not, like I'm sure I've done things which didn't pay off as much or, but I think it makes you a stronger person. I think now as well, like it's hard. There's a lot of opportunities out there for people that sometimes it's hard to know what to do or where to go. Or maybe it seems like there's a lot of opportunities, but actually there's no vacancies, something like this. But you can, I think you can also try and make your vacancy. Like before, like my job, I kind of made my job, if that makes sense. Like just because I loved doing what I did and I kind of sculpted into, into making it like, into making it mine. I mean, obviously like a lot of people helped you know have helped make that work for me as well but like I think yeah step out step out and do stuff have you had a particular mentor or have have you had people you talk about people supporting you like have you been and you mentioned your old boss at the production company have you sort of benefited from people officially mentoring you or is it just mainly kind of people who've given you wisdom and advice and support over the years people that have given me wisdom advice and support I think like I've never had like a proper mentor but like it's um it's something as well that I, I think I've realized how valuable like the work that I do in the Philippines can be quite isolating and often you're trying to you know running an NGO is really a mixed bag of skills and sometimes you're kind of having to make a path because nobody's done that this path before for this organization or maybe for something particular and that's when you're kind of really like oh I need some advice from people and and I think, you know, people are very willing to give it because I think that's the way things need to be now is as well. You want to you want to support each other. Like I have a there's some amazing collaborators that we work with. I really trust their advice and they're always willing to give me advice. Like my old boss that I used to work for, I'd still contact him about some things. And I think especially like in the media, if you 
you know, you need to listen to people as well because that's only, the only way of getting in as well is kind of learning to take opportunities but taking advice from people who are there already. Um, mm. I think people from all over the place can give you wisdom if, you're, if your ears are big enough to hear it. I think that's very good advice of listening, you know, taking advice and, and listening to people where you can and being brave and bold and just saying to people I need help or I want some advice you know can you give it because one thing I found with my career is when you ask people for help it's amazing how willing people are to give their time or their their advice or their wisdom you know and that's that's amazing isn't it yeah it's super cool and I think like it's really important especially like with um like there's a lot of I know a lot of women as well coming through to do stuff and I think that's really important to support each other as well because sometimes I think like if you're doing something where you interact with a lot of men sometimes you can feel a bit alone or like I don't know like if there's a you want I think it's important to get like especially empower other women to do to do things as well I mean empower men as well but I'm uh, I'm a bit of champion of women doing things that um and you know sharing advice with other women is really important because I think sometimes we feel a bit like in competition because there seems to be less of us doing some things but I have some amazing uh, you know friends and and colleagues doing amazing stuff and I think it's always important to support and you know take wisdom from both sides. Sure I couldn't agree more could not agree more it's been really nice to chat to you though it's, it's, uh, yeah thanks ever so much for taking the time to speak to me I really appreciate that. Oh, it's my pleasure. I love I love to share what we do and I hope, you know, hopefully we'll get more people out here doing more work. Thanks so much to Sally for speaking to us on the podcast today. One thing that struck me from talking to her was that so many people say, I'd love to do that, but and never fulfill their dreams because taking the plunge seems just way too hard. You don't have to buy a camera and emigrate to the Philippines unless that's your dream too, of course. But it's a really good reminder that taking the big step, the one where your friends and family tell you that you're crazy and wonder why you're not continuing with your nice, safe job with a paycheck at the end of every month, can often pay dividends and lead you down unexpected paths. So be brave. If you're interested in Sally's work though and fancy a stint in the beautiful islands of the Philippines or just want to know more about what she's doing, then as mentioned, their website is lamave.org, that's L-A-M-A-V-E, and their Facebook page is at Lamave Project. Sally herself is on Twitter at Sally J Snow. That's all for this time, and thank you for joining us too. You've been listening to Smashing the Ceiling with me, Naomi Meller. Please subscribe if you haven't already, and feel free to leave us a lovely review on your favourite podcast site as it helps others to find us. More importantly, if you enjoyed it, spread the word as word of mouth is still the most powerful form of advertising. You can follow us on Twitter at Smashing Ceiling and on Instagram at Smashing the Ceiling and we'll hopefully see you next time.